I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter number 22. We're going to go off of our Acts series for one week. And again, I, I appreciate all that are here. And I know Mike has many friends and family that have had an opportunity to come and take part in this day with him. And some of his friends from the uh, funeral home appreciate that, uh, you being here as well. Genesis 22. Today, as I've said, it's an opportunity for us to ordain uh, someone into the gospel ministry. And the topic that I want to discuss for, not just for Mike, but I think it's something that's very applicable for all of us, is this topic, thriving through life's most difficult test. You know, this past Friday, Mike had a very difficult test. Mike, was it one of the more difficult tests you've taken? Yes. Was it the most difficult? Probably not. Uh, all of us have difficult tests, and I'm sure all of us can think about that. Uh, I know, uh, Stephanie, you've had difficult tests in your life that you've had to study for, and others. I know uh, Tiffany's had some difficult tests that she had to study for with school. Uh, all of us have difficult tests that we had to study for, and I know for me, one of the most difficult tests was always the one that I didn't study for. How many are with me on that, right? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, in, in school, I thought I could just breeze through without studying. I did well until about eighth grade. Then it caught up with me. I couldn't look over the notes for two minutes before class and get an A anymore. It wasn't going to happen. But we've all had tests, and I'm not talking about something that you uh, are examined on based on you know, writing out your answers. I'm talking about trials in life. And what I want to look at today is from the passage in Genesis chapter 22. And this is the story of Abraham and Isaac when Abraham had to uh, was asked to offer up his son, Isaac, to the Lord. So in Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, or test, really is the word there, Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So here is what is going on. God is testing Abraham. He is asking him to take his son, Isaac, who is the seed line of blessing that is going to be uh, really uh, where the children of Israel are going to descend from, from his seed. And God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. This doesn't mean you know, all right, here's my son, Lord. No, literally, a burnt offering in those times, they would uh, take a, a, a lamb, a, a goat, a ram, and they would offer it, slay it upon an altar, and sacrifice it. So that is the picture that we are given here. And Abraham rose up in the morning, verse 3, and saddled his ass, his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac and his son, and he claved the wood, for the burnt offering, and clave means split, split the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. It's very important. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into this message this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you, and Lord, again, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come here, the special service today, uh, the ordaining of Mike, Michael Jones, uh, into the gospel ministry. I know he's been in the ministry for a number of years, but specifically this calling to be a pastor. And Lord, for the next few minutes, as we give this challenge from your word. I pray that it would be a help and blessing to Mike and Tasha and their family. But more importantly, I pray that it would be a help and blessing to all of us here because all of us can learn very important lessons and principles 
from this story and the application that we are given. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You know, whenever we get into a tough test, much like our story today, the question of our heart is almost always why, or as most Texans say, why, right? right? Why? Why do we have these tests? Uh, Nate and Noah, our six-year-old and four-year-old, all the time we ask them to do something. Why? Anybody with me on that? Don't you love it when your kids do that? All the time. Why? 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 Just because. Because. It's very easy to ask that question, why? Now, there are two things that don't often seem to match up. They are faith and reason. In fact, they are oftentimes at odd. And they are at odds with Abraham at this very moment in his life. He has had faith in God. Uh, He hadn't had any children for years, and he is well into his 90s. And I know they age much differently back then than we do today. But he was well past the the point of really uh, helping to produce a child, and his wife was well past childbearing years. And many years prior to that, God had said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have... endless number of of children and grandchildren, as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And I'm sure in Abraham's mind at that time, it's like, okay, well, I've got to have kids to be able to have all these multitude that are going to be after me. And some probably 20 years had passed before he had that son. Now, Abraham had to, he tried to take things into his own hand and he had a son uh, out of wedlock. And that's, that's the son Ishmael. And that's where we have the the, the fight uh, between uh, much of the, um, the, the, the Arabs and the, the, the Jews today because of that. But Isaac was the, the promised son, the seed line. And here we are in chapter 22. God is asking Abraham to offer up his son. Now, we have to understand a lot of times when we've heard this story, it's a children's story, and we think of Isaac being just a little kid. He wasn't a little kid. He was probably at least 20 years old at this time. So he knew what was going on. He knew very well what was going on. So it wasn't like he had no clue. It wasn't like me taking Nate or Noah. All right, we're going to go up on this mountain, and I got this wood with me. Like, all right, Dad, what are we going to do? Just just stay with me. He knew what was going on, and he could have easily gotten out of that situation. We have to understand that. But faith and reason are at odds here. You see, reason is probably telling Abraham to hold on to his son, God had promised Isaac, and he deserved it, but faith is telling him to trust in the Lord. And that's a struggle all of us have, the struggle between faith and reason. And during our greatest trials and tests, this is often the conflict. Reason doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. There are some people who are very deductive people. Who are, who are the deductive people today? You have to try to reason everything out before you make a decision. We have, I know we have several people like that. There are people that are very deductive. They must know everything about everything and exactly all the details before they decide. Now, that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. Then there are others, if they trust a person, if they trust something, they're just going to do it. They don't need all the answers. These are the people that drive a reasoning person crazy. And when we get to Genesis chapter 22, again, some 20 years have passed since the end of chapter 21. And now God is testing Abraham. And he's asking him to take his son and go to the mount called Moriah. Now, let me give quick historical significance about this mountain. Mount Moriah is, a very, is the very place where in later years, King David brought the threshing floor of Ornan as a place for the site of the future temple in 1 Chronicles 21. On that very place is where Abraham had 
willingly was going to offer his son Isaac. This is also the temple that Solomon built. Today, there stands in this very place the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim mosque, or mosque which was built over the great rock that formed the altar upon which Abraham offered his son Isaac. It is from this rock that the Mohammedans believe Muhammad and his horse ascended into heaven. So uh, it's a very historic spot in history. And again, I, I think about this. Imagine if you were Abraham. Imagine if you were Abraham and God said to you, I want you, I'm going to test you. And I want you to offer up your son. I want you to offer up your daughter. Now, don't answer out loud, but just think about that. You know, for many, many of us, maybe not all of us, we'd be like, no thank you. There's no way. I'm not going to do that, Lord. I'm not going to offer up my only child to you and, and cut them up as a sacrifice. Now, we have to understand the significance of this, and I don't believe God ever intended for him to kill his son, but he was testing him. And when we read this story, it almost can come across as very morbid. Why would God ask Abraham to, to kill his son? Now, again, you can believe whatever you want, but I do not believe God wanted him to kill Isaac. I believe this was a test to see where Abraham's love was centered. You see, God is a jealous God. He's jealous over our hearts. He is jealous over our love for him. And God, and I've said this many times before, God doesn't want prominence. He deserves preeminence meaning he deserves to be first and foremost in our lives. And again, we all experience tests in life. And it's very easy, talking to Mike and really talking to our church, it's very easy when we're faced with a test or a situation or circumstances in life that we don't like, it's very easy to ask, God, why, why do you want me to go through this? God, why, why have you asked this of, of me? Why, why is this happening to me? You know, the Christian life is about thriving, but how can you thrive when you're just trying to survive, and many of us are just surviving in life? Now, the main idea I want to I draw from for just really a few minutes today is this. We talked about faith and reason. They always don't go hand in hand. I'm not sure if I have this in your notes or not, but here, here it is. Faith doesn't need answers. Faith simply trusts in the one who has all the answers. And that's what I want all of us, Mike, Tasha, your family, and I want the church to understand. Faith doesn't always need the answers. There are many times in our life where, God, I need the answers. God, you're putting me through this situation, this circumstance, this test, this trial. I don't understand it. Give me the answers. And God says, you're not always going to get the answers. But what I want you to do is trust in me. And look, that's a difficult thing. That's been a difficult thing for me as a pastor these past five and a half years when I faced many challenging tests and trials and circumstances that I didn't like. God, why are you putting me through this? Why are you allowing people to attack me? Why, 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 why? And God had to remind me time and time again, why don't you just trust, Chris? Why don't you just trust that I know what's best, that I am in control? Again, all of us have gone through situations. Maybe you're even going through something right now that you don't like. Is that anybody today? Probably. You're going through something that you don't like. So again, this isn't just for Mike and Tasha. This is for all of us. I want you to understand that you don't always need the answers. But we need to trust in the one who has all the answers. 
And there's a couple very important lessons that we learn from this passage. First of all, I want you to notice Abraham's response. The first couple verses tell us what God had challenged him to do. But in verse number three, Abraham rose up early in the morning. God had asked him to take his son and offer his son for a sacrifice. Abraham got up early in the morning. So the first thing we see is this. His response was immediate. He didn't delay. He probably didn't understand how God would provide, but I believe he knew that God would provide. You see, when life gets tough, ministry or life in general, it's very easy to excuse ourselves from difficult things. We tend to rationalize our way out of difficult. We tend to retreat back to a self-centered life instead of staying true to a gospel-centered life. Look, we don't like disturbing questions. We don't like unsettling challenges. And when it comes right down to it, we don't like to take hold of ourselves and say, I am going to obey God no matter what. That is true, because I know that's true in my life. The trials that I have faced, the tests that I have faced in my life, I haven't always with surety, I'm going to obey God, bless God. I haven't always done that. And I dare say you haven't either. God, why are you doing this? Does not make sense. I don't deserve this. Right? Anybody ever been there? Yeah. I don't deserve this. I am blah, 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 blah. I've been going to church for two weeks. I don't deserve any problems. I mean, I read my Bible once this year. I definitely don't deserve any problems. I even gave when they had an offering. That's sacrifice, God. <laughs> we like to rationalize things in our mind. God, I, I don't deserve this. But a lot of us have a misunderstanding of who God is and who we are. But again, what we try to do, and again, I've been there, and I know you have as well. We try to make deals with God. <laughs> All right, God, here's the deal. I'll do this but then you got to do that, right? Okay, God, if I do this, and, I, and I've heard it many times as a pastor's kid growing up, countless times people are struggling with something, you know, someone's in the hospital, someone's dying. God, I will start coming to church all of the time if you just save this person, if you just raise them back up to life. Well, they, maybe God does that and answers their request, and then they come for two weeks, and then they're gone again. So we try to make deals with God. Now, here's the thing. When God gives us a command, it's not about making a deal. In this passage, and I've studied it, and I've studied so many surrounding passages as well, one thing I don't see is Abraham saying, all right, God, let's make a deal. Anybody see that? No. It's not, all right, God, let's make a deal. I know, I know this is what you said, but I don't think that's what you meant. <laughs> so let me help you, Lord, because I am Abraham. I know best for my life. I know best for all the world, so let me make a deal with you. We don't see that. What we see is that when God asked him something, and I'm sure it had to have, the, the struggle in his mind, oh man, what, what is going on? Why would God ask me to do something when he said, all right, out of Isaac, I'm going to make a great nation, a multitude. Okay, now you're asking me to offer him as a sacrifice? Doesn't make sense, Lord. I don't get it. Now listen, when God gives us a command, he expects our obedience but we tend to rationalize the situation. It's as if we can think that we can come up with a better plan than God and that he'll go along with it, but that's not how it works. The second thing we see is that his response was complete. Verse three continues, he rose up early and you know, got his donkey together and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, 
and clave. Now, I have no idea what the word clave was, so I had to look it up. It's an old English word, and really it means split. He split the wood. So he took the wood with him, he split the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God told him. Abraham, listen, had the tools necessary to do the job. It wasn't like, well, I'm, I'm trusting God, so I don't need to take anything with me. No, he could have de- done that. You know, there's no need for wood, for ropes, for a knife. It's just a test anyway. But he went prepared. He went ready to do what God asked him to do. That's important, church. That's important, Mike and Tasha. Be ready to do what God asked you to do. And Lotus, notice he did not look for an excuse not to do it. So we see his response was complete. Third thing, quickly, his response was worshipful. Now this, this is what really blows me away in the story. Verse number four, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off where he was supposed to go. And Abraham said unto his young man, I, I want you to stay here. I, I'm going to take the lad, I'm going to take my son, who's really about 20 years old at least, I'm going to take my son and I'm going to go yonder. I'm going to go up and what's the next word? Worship. Now, think about that. I don't, I don't know if that would be my response, and I'm just being honest today. I don't know if my response would be if God says, all right, I want you to sacrifice your son, and um, I want you to go up to this mountain as I'm going up. All right, hey, uh, family, friends, I want you to stay here. I'm going to go up and worship God. This doesn't seem to make sense in our minds, but I love this part of the passage. Abraham wasn't trying to deceive the men that were there. But somewhere, I believe, in the quiet meditations of his heart, I believe somewhere he came away with a consciousness that God would do something amazing. That God would raise his son from the dead. You know, it's a kind of a strange belief, seemingly, that Abraham is believing in resurrection. It seems odd. But Abraham had seen firsthand God's resurrecting power. Because his wife, Sarah, her womb had been dead for over 25 years, and God had resurrected the womb. We even know, based on Hebrews chapter 11, that Abraham had this attitude, that he believed that God was going to raise up his son. He thought he was going to have to kill his son, but he believed that God was going to raise up his son. So Abraham went to worship. He was not bearing this like a great trial. Listen, he was determined to face this trial and use it as a place of worship. Do we do that? Do we take the trials that God has given us, the tests that God has given us, and say, how can I worship God through this? I dare say most of us, especially at the start, aren't like, all right, that person that I love dearly, they're in the hospital, they're hanging on for breath, I'm going to worship God in this time. I just lost my job. How can I worship God? I just lost someone close to me. How can we often don't do that? But we see Abraham's response. His response was worshipful. It would have been easy for him to say, well, or for us to say, well, the only reason he was preparing to worship was because he already knew the outcome, but he didn't. He is man. He is not God. He didn't know the outcome, but he trusted in God. You know, I don't always know the outcome of things. You don't always know the outcome of things. If you did, did, we'd all be rich, right? Because you know what was going to happen tomorrow. 
But we don't know the outcome of life. But he was trusting God through it all. He knew that whatever happened was according to God's will, according to God's plan. It wasn't about Abraham, but rather all about God. And he went to worship, A.W. Tozer, he says this about worship. Worship is to feel in the heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring all. Worship will humble a person as nothing else can because there must be humility in the heart before there can be worship. One pastor also said, if you want to lead people in service, then lead them to worship. Abraham is using this test as an opportunity to worship. And church, that's powerful. You know, the past several weeks, we've been in a series in Acts called Activated. Well, here's the here's a key thought. We have been activated to worship God through our test. But notice another thing about his response. His response was also confident. In verse number five, he says to the men, hey, you stay here. But at the end of verse five, it says, I'm coming back to you. Verse eight, uh, he's talking to his son. Hey, my son, Isaac, I want you to understand that God's going to provide himself a lamb. I have confidence in God. Uh, verse nine, they came to the place which God told him. They, they went where they were supposed to go. Verse 10, Abraham then takes that knife. He stretches forth his hand to slay his son. Again, still going through the motions of what he was going to, what he was asked of. And again, I can't even imagine the conversation that Abraham had with his son. All right, I'm going to bind you up and I want you to lay on this altar and I'm going to cut you up. Oh, uh, yeah, sure, dad. Sounds good. <laughs> no. You know, but again, in Hebrews 11, we, we read and see a little bit of Abraham's heart where it says that Abraham considered God to be able to raise someone from the dead. Abraham believed his son would die, but he also believed that God would raise him up again. That's confidence. And one thing I've noticed about so many characters in the Bible is that they had an expectation that God would show up. Now, here's the important principle that Abraham learned that we need to learn, and I want you guys to learn as well in your life. If God gave it to you, then you can trust him with it. Now, the moral of this story is not that God's going to ask all of us to sacrifice our children. It's not what this is about. But the point is this. If God gave it to you, then you can trust him with it. But the reality is we don't trust him with it oftentimes. We question God, and there's nothing wrong with questioning God, but we question, then our question sometimes doesn't lead to worship. It actually leads to getting mad and angry at God and, and bitter against God because he didn't do what we expected him to do. But if God gave it, then you can trust him with it. Anything that God has given me, I should be willing to trust him with that. And I've seen this firsthand in my life. You know my story, and that's not what I'm going off on today, but, you know, we lost our first son. Four and a half months old back in 2012, God took him away. I struggled with that. My wife struggled with that greatly. My family, our friends struggled with that. But I had to come to the realization that, you know what? God gave it to me. He took it away, but I can still trust God. I can still worship God. 
I can still be thankful for the time that God has given him to me. I'm going to continue that thought in just a minute, but here's the second thing we notice in this passage. We see Abraham's response, but now we see God's provision of grace. Isn't it nice when you've studied hard for a test and you finally passed it? <laughs> Look at verse number 11. And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Now, I, I don't think this was probably like, Abraham, hey, Abraham. Again, he's literally got his hand stretched out, so I'm sure he is shouting and yelling, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, I'm here. And he said, lay not thy hand upon thy lad. Hey, don't touch him. Neither do thou anything unto him. Don't slay him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son. Basically, you were willing to offer your son the promised seed line. I know now. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and this is the amazing thing in this story, and behold, behind him, a ram was caught in the thicket by his thorns, or by his horns, and Abraham went and took up the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in, in the stead of his son, in place of him. And Abraham called that name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, which basically means the Lord will provide. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham a second time, and he said, Be myself, or by myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and it's not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of thy enemies. And in thy seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to use you and your nation, those that are following after you, as a vehicle to bless the nations, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto the place that he went to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba, and it came to pass, and, and, and the story continues. But what we see here is a provision of grace. God was basically telling Abraham, since you haven't kept anything from me, I'm not going to keep anything from you. There's a man that told a missionary one time, I would, I would give anything, anything in the world to have the joy that you have. And the missionary said, that's just what it cost me. The world. He said, I gave the world. I gave up everything. So the question is, would you? Would you give up the world? Look, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because it's imperative to this message today. I firmly believe that God, it wasn't about Isaac on this day. God didn't want Isaac. That's not why he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. God wanted Abraham. He wanted all of Abraham. He wanted all that he was and all that he had, and you know what? He got it. You see, Abraham said, Lord, if you want it, you can have it. And God says, it's really you that I want, Abraham. Get this down. Here's life's, one of life's greatest tests. If you love it, you need to learn to let it go. If you love it, you need to learn to let it go. Again, we've talked about control in our church for some time. 
What I'm talking about is giving up control of the things that we hold dear and saying, God, here it is. Basically, it's not just, here, take my children. <laughs> I don't want them anymore. No, it's, here's my life. Everything about me, Lord. Here, I, I'm even willing to, to give up my job that I've spent years training for. I'm even willing to give up my house. I'm even willing to follow you around the world, Lord. But so many people aren't willing to let it go, the things that they love. One of life's greatest tests is this. If you love it, then you must let it go. You know, I've told our church before that I fear too many churches would rather keep than send out. But I believe that a thriving, flourishing, gospel-centered church is a church that is sending and not a church that is keeping. Missions is an important part of the church, and I have a heart for missions, but more importantly, I have a heart for helping people grow in their faith. I want a church that is growing so much in the gospel that has an identity that is staked in the gospel, that they'd be willing to leave behind everything so that the gospel could advance. And that's a scary thought. And I believe for Mike and Tasha, this is it. This isn't trying to elevate them up today, but they believe that God has called them specifically for this purpose. And they are willing to leave up what they hold dear. This life, this job, this ministry that they have grown to love. And really, it's, it's not just about them, it's about all of us. We have to say, God, I'm willing to do anything so that the gospel could go forward. I'm willing to give up anything so that others might be saved. You know, I go back to my story about my son, and again, I wish with all my heart that God didn't have to take Logan, but he did. And I've told many people this, and it's not just me saying it. I am thankful that God took him because through God taking him, he did something in my heart and in my life, but also many people have come to Christ because of that. I'll see my son again. I have no doubt that I'll see him again in a glorified body, in a glorified state, but God allowed me, and it wasn't necessarily a sacrifice, it wasn't me giving it up willingly, but God allowed my son to be taken so that others could come back to him, and for that, I am eternally grateful. And that's the attitude that we must have. Not that we're willing to give up our children, we're willing to give up our house, our family. But the things that we love of this earth are all temporal, meaning they're temporary. And we place too much stock on things that are temporary instead of things that are eternal. And here's the, the advice that I want to leave you with, church and Mike and Tasha something that I've learned in my life, and I've, I've said it before, but I don't need the answers. Doesn't mean I don't want them. You don't need the answers. But you need to focus on the one who has the answers. And the key truth of this all is that the answer to life's most difficult test is this, expecting God to show up and understanding that he will provide. God will provide. Abraham had that belief that God will provide himself a lamb. Again, it's not about taking a child. It's not about sacrifice. That's not what it's about. It's about 
what is it in my life that I love so much that I'm not willing to let go of? Maybe that's the very thing that God wants you to let go of. Doesn't mean he's going to fully take it away from you. Maybe it's, I see now that you're willing. I see now that I am the most important thing in your life, not this, that, these people. Do we expect God to show up with an understanding that he will provide? I want us to thrive. I want us to thrive through life's greatest test, but we have to have this attitude. An immediate response, a worshipful response, a complete response to what God is asking us to do. Let's pray.